thank you. I thank you for um, thank you for the season, God, what it means to us that you sent Jesus. So I ask God right now, like, as we worship you as our king, that you would just move, that your Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, you would just fill us, rest on us, and show us exactly what it is that you have for us today. I pray this in Jesus' name. darkness we were waiting without hope and without light till from heaven you came running there was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets to a virgin came a word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three and one. Oh God of glory, majesty, we praise forever to the King of kings. the lost to redeem the whole creation you did not despise the cross for even in your suffering you saw to the other side knowing this was our salvation Jesus for our sake you died oh yeah oh praise Oh, praise the Spirit, three and one, God of glory, majesty, we praise forever to the King of kings. And the morning that you heaven held its breath till the storm was moved for good and the land conquered death and the dead rose from their tombs and the angels stood in awe for the souls of all who come to the Father are restored and the church of Christ was born then the Spirit
Christmas for for the reminder that Jesus really came, that he was really born, that he walked this earth as a human. He taught us, he did miracles, he lived among us, and he ultimately died for our sins. And it's also a time that we prepare that being reminded he'll come again one day. He'll come again to restore the earth, to make everything right. So we light these candles. In the first week, we lit the candle of hope and reminded of the hope that we have in Jesus. And then we lit the candle of peace. And we're reminded that we have peace because of all he has done for us and that he is with us. And then last week we lit this pink candle, the candle of joy. And we're reminded that we have joy. You know, joy is different than happiness, that we choose to have joy in our life because God is watching over us and cares for us. And today we light the candle of love. And we're reminded of God's perfect love for us, that he loves us no matter what, that we don't have to earn his love, that it's not because of the good things we do, it's just because we are his creation, we are his children, and he loves us and has good plans for us. So we're going to simply, simply take time to pray today, and maybe you need to be reminded that he loves you, that he cares for you. You know, if that's you, I just invite you to have a seat, or if you came in with maybe another burden, something on your mind, maybe it's you, maybe it's for a friend or family member, and something you just need to say, God, I, this is too big for me to carry today. And it's a way that we just humble ourselves. We have a seat, and we just pray. We let people around us pray for us. You know, if that's you, have a seat. Some people will come around you. They'll put their hand on your shoulder. And it's just a simple reminder that you are not alone in the midst of this. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your love that you freely poured out on us. God, that we don't have to earn it. That we can't earn it. That you love us because we are yours. We are your kids, your creation. We thank you for that. Lord, we also acknowledge that we make mistakes, that we, we call it sin, that we mess up in our lives. And we thank you that forgiveness is available through Jesus. So we just ask for forgiveness now for where we've made mistakes this week. Lord, and I pray that you would whisper your love to each person here. You would remind them that you are crazy about them, that you have good plans for them, no matter what is going on in their life, whether it is big or small, that we can bring it all to you because you care for us. So we need healing, God, bring healing. Where we need hope, bring hope. Where we need reconciliation in this season, bring reconciliation. This can be a difficult season for many. God, so I pray that you would give us victory over anxiety and depression that can often come in this time of year also. Can we lay all these things at your feet, Jesus, because we trust you? Can we pray not only for our needs, but we think of the partners that we work with in our community and we pray for hand-to-hand. We are so grateful for the meals they provide for kids on the weekends. And God, we ask that you bless them with resources and that there would be hope given through that as well. 
And we pray for our missionaries around the world, and we pray for the Ward families. They just lead in Asia, God, and they're just asking us specifically to, to pray for these over 300 churches that have been burned. God, would you bring them hope and peace? Would you remind them of the love that you have in this season and do amazing works? And in all these things, we say we love you and we trust you, Jesus, and we pray in your name. Amen.
Proclaim that, you know, over your family, your neighborhood, your workplace. You know, just call on the name of Jesus because he loves you and cares for you. I'm so grateful you were here. I want to welcome you to All Shores this morning. So glad that you are joining us. If you're joining us online, so glad that you are able to connect with us that way as well. If you're new, I especially want to welcome you. And I want you to know that in front of you, we have what we just call our connection card. Online, there's a link that you can click on. But it's the best way that we have to connect with you. If you're new, we'd love for you to fill that out. You can hand it to me after the service. I'll be out in the lobby or bring it to our connection point. Because we just want to help you take steps in your faith. So whether you're new or you've been here a long time, this is the best tool to use to do that. 
you know, this is an exciting week. We have a lot of services coming up this week with Christmas. And so we need a little extra help as well. So especially in our children's ministry, we need some help to, to help care of our kids during our Christmas Eve services, especially during our Saturday evening service. So you can even use that connection card. Just put your name on there. That Just say, I'm willing to help in kids for Christmas Eve. Give that to me or drop it at our connection point, and we will get you plugged in. And I'm so grateful that we have a church that responds and serves our kids so well. You know, this is also the point in our service where we simply give back, where we continue to worship by receiving God's tithes and our offering. It's a way that we just say, thank you, Lord, for how you have blessed us. And we just want to give back a little bit of what you have given to us just to fund the ministry, to do what you are doing, want to do in our community and this church and around the world. So if you came prepared to give, we just want you to, to truly do it as an act of worship. There's ways to give on the screen behind me or online. There's ways to give as well. And there are offering boxes by the door. But if you do that, just do it with joy in your heart. I'll turn your attention to the screen for more information about things that are coming up this week. Hey, All Shores, happy Christmas week. I pray that in some way you have experienced the hope and the peace and the joy and the love of Jesus Christ in this season. And hey, we get to look forward to Christmas services coming up this week. With that being said, I have a couple of encouragements for you. First, be sure to invite the people in your lives to our Christmas services. This is a time of the year where people are more receptive to invitation. And so you can do that through a fiscal invite card like this. We have these in our lobbies as well as a digital resource online at allshores.org slash Christmas Eve. But be sure to invite people to, to our services this coming weekend. Speaking of services, we've got our Blue Christmas service December 21st at 6.30 p.m. That's a service that recognizes that in the midst of joy and celebration, there are people who are experiencing grief and loss. And... The truth is, everybody has experienced grief or loss at some point in their lives. It's not just death and sickness. Grief and loss takes many forms, including the loss of a job or a transition, such as your kids moving out to school in another state or college somewhere where you're experiencing an emptiness. It could be that you've moved from one house to the other and you just miss where you used to be. Whatever your loss is, we want to take time to recognize that Jesus meets us right in the middle of that and wants to be present with us. For Christmas Eve services, we've got a Christmas Eve service, 6.30 p.m. on December 23rd as a great alternative if you have a lot planned on the 24th. We also have an array of services on the 24th. The only one I want to mention here is our 8 p.m. service. It's going to be a completely different format than the rest of the services we're offering. We're going to go more traditional with our hymns. It's going to be more candlelit. And so if you like more of a traditional Christmas service, the 8 p.m. on December 24th is a great option. Only reminder is the 8 p.m. service is the only service where we do not offer kids programming. I hope that you have an excellent week and I just pray as we look forward to Christmas Eve that God just meets you in a special way this year. Have a wonderful day. As part of Christmas Eve services, we have a tradition, one I love, that we give away whatever is given that evening, that we invite people to pray and ask God how to lead them and we give away locally, regionally, and globally. We've already shared locally that we give to needs in each of the communities we're a part of. Regionally this year, our focus is on kids and particularly vulnerable children 
with food needs. And so we use the resources that we'll gain regionally to, to serve kids, to provide meals for hundreds of kids actually in Muskegon, in the Tri-Cities and in Coopersville as well. And we wanna invite you in that way regionally to know what you're giving to. And then globally, we're investing in the next generation. Globally, we will invest very specifically in a Mongolian student that will go to a Bible college to Kingswood and will be part of their ministerial development to go back and bring Jesus where they are living. And then another portion of this will go to helping an international student go on a next mission journey where they're gonna be in a mission field, on a mission field for some months, cultivating in the short term what could grow in the long term. Be praying about that, how God would lead you to participate and how he's leading you to reflect his generous heart to those in need locally, regionally, and globally. Welcome those joining us online, all of you here in our Spring Lake campus and enjoyed the last minute when the lights were on me and I didn't think they would be. That was especially beautiful. So I'm glad you could watch me tie my shoe. You're welcome. Hey, we're in the, what we call the fourth Sunday of Advent. It's the season that we kind of anticipate freshly the coming of Jesus and not just remember, but look to experience that in fresh ways that we don't discover him and it's over, we continue to and grow in that discovery. So as we prepare to open the scriptures together, we always make it clear it's not about information or persuasion. We believe it's about revelation. So we're just inviting you, be honest with God. Ask him to speak to you, to lead you, speak of your doubts, speak of those things that are good, speak of what you desire more of. Just be honest and ask him to speak, and then I'll pray for us together. Oh, Lord, I thank you that you care about every single person among us online, that you just care and love people. And so I'm asking that in your love that you'd reveal Jesus to people today, that you would speak, you would encourage, you would awaken, you would stir, you would move among us. I pray, Lord, anything that I have to say that's not from you that would fall to the ground, it would be forgotten. But I do ask as well, Lord, that anything that is from you, that you would awaken, ignite, inspire, and just be with us. I join the psalmist praying the words that I speak, and the way we respond in our hearts and actions would please you, our rock and our redeemer. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Just means it's true. You're agreeing with me. 
So I'm going to take you back. I was a child of the 70s and the 80s. I kind of dabbled in both decades, but uh, I'm probably not a surprise to you looking on 70s. I thought it was 50s or 60s. <laughs> this is what happens when you're a pastor. You age quickly. So I take you back with me to the, that era, and many of you may not even recall a time when, the, when you wanted to hear music, you had to listen to the radio. You might have records too, but, and, and the furniture we had to listen to music was basically this huge big furniture in your living room, a huge thing with speakers and wood all around it. That's how we did what we did. And in my home, my mom was a deep and loving follower of Jesus that had really moved to just listening to Christian music. So she loved this woman named Evie. You can Google that later, but it's its own experience. And my father was one who loved Mozart and classical, so neither of my parents were exactly rocking it. But my sister and I both loved it, and back then you had to call the radio station, ask them to play songs, and if they even said your name, yes! But you'd listen to music on this radio or records. And in fact, we knew my, my mom would pay attention, so if we were listening to something that might not be godly or good, her radar would go up. So... For example, there was a song I feel like making, and there's another word that follows that's, that's whatever. So we would hear that song, and we would sing a word over it so my mom would not know. So we sang, I feel like making a cake. Bam, bono, bam, bono, bam. I feel like making a cake. So we tricked my mom. This is not the lesson I'm trying to give you, but that's what we did. So my mom, particularly in the heightened concern about some of those things, we were a part of the church movement in those days that was beginning to talk about some of the intention of some bands that was nefarious. It was really considered evil. So one in particular was that there were bands that were writing songs and they would backmask them. So you'd have to basically take the record and play it backwards to try and hear it. And you might hear a few things. I'm still a little like, I don't know, the legitimacy or not. But we, it still raised your thing like, oh, people are intending to take us down a bad road. That was what we were taught. Now, I, I say that not because you should all... I didn't get rid of any of my records, by the way, so maybe that's some of my problems these days. But, uh, but it's interesting. We talk a lot of times and focus on what's out to get us, but we miss the fact that the church and God himself has always been, in the same way, trying to find ways to more deeply connect and enhance, find ways that are both apparent to us and are not. So let me take you back. This is around the ninth century, I believe, the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, there was always intention in churches, how do we point to Jesus in other ways? How do we expand, not just what we're saying, but creatively do it so they're getting the message other ways? So in this particular song, one arranger took and did an antiphon, in case you don't know what an antiphon is, because we don't talk about those. That's when part of the, whatever's singing, being sung, like chorally or as a group, there's an, a, a song over it. So it might even just be a long line, something like a manual song. Well, this individual who wrote this antiphon wrote it with seven different verses, and if you took the first letter of each one, it spelled uh, sarkor. That's what it spelled. Now, I know you're all enamored by that already. I can see it on your faces. If you, if you write that backwards, the word is arrow cross. Now, I am a four-year Latin student, and for all the things that don't matter from what I learned, I know what that means. Just thought I'd impress you with that added detail today, and my Latin teacher from high school would be like, Wow. Using Latin in church. Not really for the right reasons, but he's using it. So he, he wrote this literally that backwards it said arrow cross, which literally means I'll be with you tomorrow. I'll be coming to you. And it was a, it was a creative hidden statement that in the midst of asking for Emmanuel, he was also singing back to us, I'm coming, I'm coming. 
Now, the reason I tell you that today and the reason I point it out is we often just look at things for face value and don't catch, not just in the church, but how God through history has moved and continually, all through, even before Jesus came, was giving these messages that were subtle and that eventually we would see were pointing us to the coming of Jesus. They were pointing us to something greater that God creatively moves in history in the moment and often it foreshadows something coming. Now, I want to start there because in this fourth week of Advent, we have been looking at these prophecies in Isaiah. It's a time in Israel's history that's quite conflated. It's a mess. But it, all that's going on, the prophet is speaking both to the current situation, but he's also in the midst of speaking currently, pointing us to something further, sometimes not even people not even realizing it. And so today, we're in this area of prophecy. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 7. And just looking at a few verses, some that I think will be familiar if you've been around the church. If not, it's nothing. Hopefully, it will get familiar today. But to get there, as I look at it, I just want to remind you of where Israel's history was, and then I want to give some context to where we're going. So at this time, Israel is one kingdom through David and through, and through Solomon, and eventually it fractures into two. So there's Israel in the north and Judah in the south, which actually is where Jerusalem is. And Israel would have been considered rebellious of the two. They didn't want to stay with what God had, so they went their own way. So that's the mess we're in, is there's this ugliness going on of this fracture. And Isaiah is about to prophesy to the king of Judah, and I want to demonstrate it for you so you just see all the players and what's going on. So you'll kind of get a picture of where this is and what it means. Sorry, sometimes this goes back and sometimes it doesn't. There we go. So hopefully I'll spell the names right because last hour I spelled one of them backwards. I guess I was still thinking about arrow cross. All right, so what we have is we have a king here. This is Rezin. And he is the king of Aram, Aram or we would say Persia, is how we commonly talk about it today. Okay? You're, you're with me so far, aren't you? You're excited about it. I want you to know, too, I write this down, but no one can read my writing, but it makes me feel more like a teacher. So I do it. Then we have Pekka, who is also a king. That's what that is, by the way. Those are crowns, in case you can't tell. That's my sad creativity. So Pekka is the king of Israel, or at that time, it's also referred to as Ephraim. Ephraim. Okay? And then uh, we moved down. Well, let me tell you this one person that's over everybody. So there's this dominant empire, Syrian empire, and their king beautifully actually has two names together. Tiglath, not Tigger, Tigger, Tiglath, right? Did I say that? Yeah. Tiglath Pileser. See, I knew you can't see it or do it, but you're going to see it anyway. Pileser. So in case you're thinking about names, hey, we just had a kid. What should you name him? Tiglath Pileser. That's what I would go with because it's a good name. So here's the deal. These two areas are, um, this, these two are scared this group is coming. Everybody thinks they're coming to take over the whole empire. That's the deal. So now we're down here to Judah, and Ahaz is the one king that seems to still be in some manner doing and following the Lord. So he's the king of uh, Judah. Now, here's what I want you to understand because it's a backdrop to what's going to happen in the prophecy. These two countries are worried this one's going to come and take them. So what they want to do is get down to Jerusalem and take that over. They want to take over all of Judah and put a different king in place. So between the three of them, maybe they'll have enough manpower to stop this. 
That's what's going on. And Ahaz hears of this and is freaked out by it. So we know in another part of the Bible, Kings, that he gets a group to go to this guy, Tiglath Pilasar. I still want to say Tigger. I don't know why. I'm like Pooh and Tigger. That's what I want to call him. This is where my mind goes. I'm sorry, but that's what happens when I read. So he sends a group here to say, would you take care of us? So now this group of Israel is compromising with a group that has nothing to do with the God they're supposed to follow in order to protect themselves. This guy, who's the one guy that's supposed to be following, is asking for help here. Who's really? It's like going to Darth Vader in the Empire. That's what I want you to see. That's what's going on. Okay, That's the background of what happens. So Isaiah is told by the Lord, listen, I want you to go to Ahaz. This is the beginning of chapter 7. We'll get to it in the middle where it goes. And he says he's going to be at the aqueduct by the fields. Now, that's important to note. I just want to tell you why. The aqueduct is the means with which water travels. When you have somebody coming to take your city out or your nation out, you build a wall around that area to protect it. And oftentimes, the way they get you is they just wait you out till you can't get enough water. So him being at the aqueduct is a subtle poetic way to say, listen, He's being and doing what a leader does, which is protecting his area and his stuff, and he's making sure there's a path and a way to protect it. That's what he's doing right now. His mind is anxiously on all of this. So then it tells us that Isaiah goes to him, and God tells Isaiah what to say. He says, listen, you tell Ahaz, listen, be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid. He says, you know these two that you're worried about so much? It, they're hot, burning with anger, but they're like a stubble of fire. It's going to burn out. He says, you don't need to worry because in 65 years, Ephraim will be no more. Now, if you were given the good news that in 65 years, the battle will be over, how would you take that? You do realize we're like, 65 years? Uh, three minutes, I need this thing to be done. You've got to be kidding me. I do want to change, though, for you in just understanding that this is part of the ancient world and part of how people understood, listen, God is with you and he's for you, but it doesn't shape out in a few days. He's speaking of his sovereignty and the long look. This, these two are not going to be it. You don't have to worry about them. And subtly, he's also saying, don't go over here to the evil empire. That is not what's going to help you. So he goes on to say this final statement, listen, stand firm in your faith or you won't stand at all. Now, I just want you to pause for a minute and consider this. What Isaiah is saying, or God is saying through Isaiah to Ahaz, is this. The things look bad, and in the human, you're worried about it. I got this. Trust me. Now, I don't want to conflate it with the idea that that means everything goes well, because all of history, except for today and where we live, people have understood that suffering and struggle is still a part of following and loving. We trust God in both avenues. We don't trust him because everything goes perfectly and goes well. But that's the message he's trying to give Ahaz through Isaiah. I want you to understand, this stuff will not take you out. It will not mess you up. It'll be okay. So that's where we begin. That's where we are. Now he's going to move into the more of the deep prophecy that we're going to get into, or kind of the more poignant one, because Ahaz has not paid attention to this. So God offers yet another hope and help to him. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. He sees that he's worried and fearful and doesn't know what to do. And he says this, ask the Lord your God, this is what Isaiah says to him, for a sign, meaning God wants him to ask, whether in the deepest depths or the highest heights. But Ahaz says, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Now, at first reading, you might think, man, that Ahaz dude, he's got some serious faith. I'm not going to ask. 
I don't need to test the Lord. I trust him. That's not what he means. In fact, this is actually a deflection because Ahaz doesn't want to deal with what God is saying to him. John Goldengate, who's one of the great commentators in the Old Testament, says it this way about this moment. He says, maybe there's a difference between people who want to believe but need help and people who don't want to believe and want an excuse for avoiding doing so. And then he says, Ahaz is the latter. I found this to be really, I guess, both challenging and meaningful just in this. I can admit, and I I bet you're not different than me, I want to trust God, but a lot of times I really think I should rely on my own understanding and wisdom. And the crazy part is, we, I'll often hear other people say this too, like I'm sending out a fleece so I know what to do the right thing, which oftentimes means I'm asking God to prove that it will not cause me any difficulty or struggle so I can have it go my way. And what I found really challenging when I read this was, boy, I don't think I'm alone, but I bet oftentimes we don't want God to show us to trust him because we're scared of what it might mean. And can we be honest, we actually want control and want to be sure it goes our way. And we don't really consider what it might do if we have to trust him. Because in trusting him, there is both suffering and freedom. You realize that these people that we look back to as our church heroes, the people of history, I mean, all the early disciples, they trusted God completely. And almost all of them end up with a pretty difficult traumatic death. So does that mean they shouldn't have trusted him? The answer is no, just so you know. Because we should understand that suffering and freedom walk together, that sorrow and joy dance together, this idea that part of life brings both, and our own personal security and safety, or the idea that we're free of any struggle and pain, is not how we live in the world we live, and God didn't come to fix that for us. In other words, trusting it means we trust whether we see it or not. It means we trust whether it's in 65 years or tomorrow, whether we trust and it leads others. As I get older, I sometimes wonder, and much more so now, could part of my legacy in my own family, raising down kids and grandkids, be that I live faithfully and I don't get to see some things, but it paves the way for them? Might that be the way God wants to meet me? And I want to say it this way to you in kind of encouraging a very specific event. So we have, on the 21st, we have what we call Blue Christmas. It's a about an hour service. It might not even be that long. It's around there. It's 6.30 here. And we tell people, listen, it's done on the longest night of the year. It's called Blue Christmas because it's to, for anybody who has places where they feel disparity or loss or sadness or grief to come because part of being the church together is letting us lament and ache, not just hoping it gets better. But I want to tell you this. It's not just for people who've been through difficult things. It's for all of us to be together in those struggles. I love when Paul says to the church, you rejoice with those who rejoice and you mourn with those who mourn. Like part of it is coming when you don't think it applies to you to just be present. When you hear of others, it actually helps you to recognize there's pain all around me. And I'll also tell you this, some of the suffering we have and some of the isolation and struggles, they're not globally epic and they're not even necessarily dramatic, so we think they're not real. But there is much people struggle with and feel lonely and isolated and in pain that that's a moment to be together. So I just don't want to miss part of this when you trust God is saying, I trust you whatever comes. Because quite honestly, we all know, and I'll just ask it, and you can say yes if you think it's true. 
do you know that you cannot control what happens and hard things happen to all of us? It is true. It does. That's part of what happens in life. That's being alive. And we'll come back to what this prophecy means, I think, even with that. But I think it's very important for us to understand that. You know, I I start to think about these things, and I go, I I think of my own journey of faith of trusting God, and I think of the different ways I don't trust. You know, it can be things where I, hey, I'm going to leverage everything I can do and make this happen. I might even compromise values if it moves me ahead. I might even rely on people I wouldn't and align with them with the hopes it will get me where I want to go. The simple way we say it is the end justifies the means. And here's the crazy part. God says the means are what builds the future. I want to say it again. God says the means are what builds the future. In other words, it's how we live that creates what will happen, not what we do to try to get there. I imagine for some of us, we work really hard to leverage everything we can. I remember for other of us, you might have the skill I have, which I have the skill of meditation and rumination, which means I overthink things and keep thinking about them. And amazingly, it doesn't change anything other than I'm anxious. So I'm really good at that. I've offered it before. I can continue to mentor you in that if it would be helpful. But I think it's really powerful to just consider, would you be willing to trust God dependently? Because ultimately, that's what we're getting into in this is God is inviting Ahaz to trust him and say, I will be dependent on you whatever comes because I trust you. Now, this is how the prophet and the Lord respond when Ahaz puts him off. Isaiah says, hear now, you house of David, which before I go on, I, I will remind you, in Isaiah, when he's talking of these different kings and the other kings he speaks of, of Israel and of, uh, of Aram, he says, that, he says their pedigree, who they're born from. It's kind of like this is who you naturally are a son of. When he speaks of Ahaz, he says, you are of the house of David. And he's speaking now of God's divine hand, saying, you're his, you're not a pedigree. So it's still crazy. He still says it. You house of David. Now, by the way, he's not happy. You'll you'll notice uh, Isaiah's pretty torqued right now. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? He's also taken God away from him like it's my God, you idiot. Pay attention. But now the crazy part is, in all of this, he's going to offer this prophecy that we have lived into ever since. And before I say what it is, I want to remind you, Ephraim's going to go into exile. And Judah will as well eventually. Both Assyria and Babylon will take all of Israel out. One takes them out and puts them in another location. Another takes them out and disseminates them all over parts of the ancient world to kind of lose and water down who they really are. Both intending to lose sight of Israel ever being a people God cared about. That's the intention. So exile is their future if they don't listen. And the crazy part is, and this is true of Isaiah, there's judgment saying you're not getting it, and then there's always hope. There's judgment and there's hope. And now he offers hope. And he offers hope in that day, so I don't want to miss this, although we're going to get into what it foreshadows, but you need to understand prophecy is often meant for the moment and meant for the future. There's a foreshadowing and there's a fulfilling. This is the creative work of God. And so the verse follows. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. He's not leaving it up to anybody. He's going to show you. The virgin will, be, will conceive and give birth to a son, and I will call him Emmanuel. Now, we won't get into the, all the nuance of this because I don't have time to 
parse it for you, but the message we need to get into today, it's kind of crazy. We don't know for sure what this meant or who was the kind of the sign or the one born or the ones born that brought this. But we do know, and I'll just give you an example. Hezekiah is the son of Ahaz that comes after this. This is just one example it could be. Hezekiah then becomes king of Judah, and guess what he does? He looks around at the nation. He goes, man, we're beginning to compromise. We have said we'll worship Yahweh, but we're worshiping all these other guys. He says, let's pull it back. Let's just be his. Let's pull it back and let's live for him. Let's pull it back and kind of trust him in a different way independently, that we will seek him. And let's start to care for the people we've forgotten and forsaken, because that's always been part of what's lost it for this group. So we see some hope in the moment, but I'll tell you, unfortunately, over time, it doesn't last. But it's, it's important that we see this is what was going on, and God's offering hope in the midst of judgment, and even in the midst of them failing, which is what they do, there's this theme that's going to keep threading to come back to this. That's cool, isn't it? I mean, that's the creativity of God. No one looked at it and said, oh, this will be about some future. They just went, happened, we blew it. And yet it was just percolating in creativity and in God's design to bring something different and beautiful and complete later. So let me fast forward to the time of Jesus. By the time Jesus walks the earth, Israel has begun in the different places it is, Israel and Judah, using Israel as the name of the whole people now, to bring some back to the nation where they were. Now the crazy part is while they're back in the physical Israel and even back in Jerusalem, Rome is the leader and the governor over all of it. So what I want you to understand is they have returned to their home, but in their very home, they're still in exile. In other words, they're there, but it's not theirs. They're there, but it's not home. They're there, but they're alone and isolated and weary and beaten down. Now, that's important for us to recognize that that's the avenue in which Jesus is going to come. Because maybe today it would be good to just consider this. Like, what exile might you be in right now? What exile might we collectively be in right now? What places have we as the people of God become a bit hopeless and helpless or compromising and saying, we have to pick this or that, we have to do this way or that way, and if we don't, we're not gonna get where we need to go. We have to trust that God will do it through these means. That's collectively. But then think of it in your own situation. You know, where do you live where maybe people don't even know what you're aching over and struggling with? Maybe it's inside your own heart and mind and emotions. Maybe it's how you live and people don't see. Maybe you're trying and striving and doing and not being seen or noticed and forgotten and forsaken. Maybe life isn't turning out like you thought it would. Maybe it's a horrible diagnosis and you don't know how to walk through it. Maybe it's a broken relationship that may never be restored and is helpless and hopeless you know where you live in that exile. And what I will tell you is, in all of my years of getting to know many people in many different situations, exile is not only for those who are physically poor and struggling. I have seen people with great means be in exile. I've seen people young and old be in exile. I've seen people in all sorts of situations that might look good, but man, we're just dressing a pig and it's horrible that we all can live in these places where we're just alone and a bit struggling and changing the circumstance because we hope it might do something for us. And what I love, although it's really, I know it can sound bad, I love that Israel failed, not because I wish they'd fail, 
because it's a reminder that none of us can get out of it on our own. That's one of the things that I think is the biggest lie in our culture, in our own kind of way we live. If we work hard enough and do enough, we will change how we live and what happens. You realize that is a self-elevating, me and you driving way of life. And the invitation of God is dependent trust, dependent trust, dependent trust. Now watch how Matthew connects all of this now. He begins to share in his account how the Holy Spirit came to Mary, how both Mary and Joseph experienced his presence and basically tells her, you're going to have a child. You have never been with anyone. You're going to have a child that will be of God. God will overpower, overshadow you basically, and you will give birth to this son. And they're very clear it's mystical and unexplainable because it tells us in the text she never was with Joseph until after Jesus is born. But this is how Matthew goes on to describe it. She, meaning Mary, will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So before I go on, a couple of things I want to make clear. He has the name Jesus. You're like, remember, he said Emmanuel. That's because Emmanuel is a title. We'll see it in a little bit. Jesus is still his name, name. When it says Emmanuel, it's about an attribute. The other is the idea that Jesus saves people from their sins. See, Israel lived in exile because they couldn't get themselves out of it. And let's be clear, communally and personally, we get into our own exiles we cannot make our way out of on our own. Hearing that Jesus is coming to save us from our sins is both personal and communal. It's both individual and familial. It's both personal and larger context of the community. It's both personal and incredibly larger over all the world, meaning God wants to change things and he's the only one, the only way that can do it. And here's the craziest part. He does it in a way that doesn't make sense. I mean, that's the part we want to hear today is God is a different kind of king that brings a different kind of kingdom. We will always look to might and strength and power and our own ingenuity and whatever it takes to get where we want to go, and God will always move in ways that do not make sense. That is incredibly powerful, and it wrecks our minds of dependence because we're saying we have to trust you in a way that brings things about in a way I can't even explain and doesn't get me to where I thought it would, but it's better. And make no mistake, Jesus comes in vulnerability and anonymity and in poverty. Now, he connects it all. He says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, and then he restates it. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Oh, I just... I so love that this is who God is. In Ezekiel 34, it's another prophecy. It says, God is basically the prophet saying, man, you guys have not shepherded these people well. He talks about how they rule them harshly. They look out for themselves. And he says, because of this, I myself will come and be their shepherd. See, that's the beauty of what we believe and what we know about God. You and I cannot get out of our own exile. We cannot make things right. We cannot change and do it on our own. And we cannot somehow find our way out of our own sin and self-destructiveness. So God comes in the flesh. And I love that it says he is with us. The title of Jesus means God comes to be with us. And that's the crazy thing. He doesn't come as a royal king. He doesn't come with great announcement. He comes in vulnerability as a baby, in anonymity as unknown, literally moments away from Herod's, one of his palaces, 
And then he comes very simply in poverty to a family that has nothing. And you know why he does that? Because he's with us in our vulnerability. He's with us in our anonymity. And he's with us in our own spiritual poverty. And physical poverty for that matter. Tell me that's not a different kind of king. I think we look for Jesus to come and for the heavens to open and us to hear angelic voices, or in my case, big, loud electric guitars. And God wants to meet us in the unknown, the unseen, and the places we're most weak and vulnerable and struggling. God is with us. That's what he says. And God somehow changes the world as a king by bringing a kingdom through suffering, sacrifice, death, taking our place and giving new life out of it. That's crazy, and it's amazing. But let's be honest, it's difficult to fathom, isn't it? And if you want to enter Advent differently in this season, I'd say it this way. You need to look for the king in a kingdom that's unlike any other. If you're thinking it's the way it should be, you're probably wrong. (laughs) If you're convinced how God needs to move, you're probably off track. I mean, God moves in ways that make no sense to us and that contradict every bone in our strategic, tactical, self-driven body. To say, instead of being so driven, would you look for a king in places of vulnerability and weakness and anonymity? Would you look for the kingdom to come in ways that are most shocking to you? Because that's how the world will change. This kingdom and king are unlike any other And then I'll just tell you this final thing, which is we need to discover dependent trust on him because that's what builds faith. I know if I'm honest, I have a lot of places I don't want to trust and a lot of ways, man, I can switch how I think just so it allows me the position to push ahead with what I want or what I think should happen. Dependent trust says, God, I don't know how this will shake out, but I trust you. And I'm actually going to live in peace and dependence sitting in your corner, following what you have for me, not driving or making, not pretending or hiding, not finding another way. I know because everything in me wants to fight to do, and yet God's saying, I love you in this place. Jesus came to meet us in vulnerability and anonymity and our poverty so that we would know he's with us, and he leads us out of it differently. Man, I I get pumped about what that could be for us. So with that, I I simply want to lead you in a prayer and a space to pray, however God might be speaking today. So if you're comfortable, you can close your eyes. And I'm going to invite you to kind of pray with me or consider. And maybe God's leading you even in your own, but I'm going to at least guide us through a few things. So Lord, I pray right now for anybody who has not discovered your very presence that you are with them. Would you reveal, Jesus, your presence with them in the places they are most isolated, most in exile, most vulnerable, most broken, dark things that they don't want people to see or know of? Would you let them know you're with them and you love them and you're for them? And if that's you, we have a real simple way that we're taught through all of history of church that we simply confess that we receive Jesus' forgiveness and we want to follow him as Lord. And maybe for you, it's the beginning step. Help me to be dependent and trust you, and I receive you to be with me. Now be with me, Lord. Then for others of us here, maybe it's stirring in you. Boy, I do not want God to show me what he's asking me to trust him on, or I'm scared to ask him, or I want to do things on my own. 
And so maybe for you, it's just a statement of, God, I want to trust you, but I'm scared and I'm fearful. Help me. One of my favorite prayers is, help my unbelief, Lord. Help me to trust you and be dependent on you. And you're inviting him to meet you there. And then for any of us where you feel alone and in exile, ask God to meet you in that place, to be with you and to bring you out. And then finally, Lord, I pray not only that we'd receive this, but we would dispense it and give it to others. Every place you send us, Lord, let us be ones that bring your presence to others where they are alone in isolation and exile and bring hope and life and purpose to them through this dependent trust in you as king and discovering your kingdom. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand. We always give a space for just a little... Let's, let's see what God wants to say to you and speak out of the teaching of the scripture. So as we worship, you're going to be singing that God would change us from the inside out. Ask the Lord to speak to you, to move in your life. We'll celebrate communion partway through this too, which is a centering act where we receive the presence and life of Jesus. Let's worship together. thousand times I've failed, so your mercy remains. And should I stumble again, still I'm caught in your grace, everlasting. Your light will shine when all else fades, never ending. Your glory goes beyond all fame. will above all else my purpose remains the art of losing myself in bringing you praise everlasting your light will shine when all else fades never ending your glory goes beyond Lord, I give you control. Consume me from the inside out, Lord. Let justice and praise become my embrace. To love you from the inside out, everlasting. Your light will shine with Let me invite you to be seated for just a few minutes. We're going to celebrate communion together, but Jesus initiated even just before his death. He said, you do this. The church has been doing it weekly for thousands of years now. We want you to know that communion is open to anybody who wants to respond and some way move towards Jesus. We don't have stipulations of membership here. We don't want you to feel obligated if you're not ready. You'll see the bread is in the top layer of the cup and the the drink is in the bottom layer. There's two uh, little film areas for that. 
On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, he broke it, and he gave thanks. It's a bread that's flat. It's a bread without leaven. Leaven was the image of the sourness of sin and the sin that elevates and causes pride that is ultimately at the root of our self-absorbed way of life, that Jesus lived in humility and sinlessness, lived in torment as we have the markings literally from the fire and the piercing. That's an image of that too. He tells us that he loves us by giving his life for us. Like you are his cherished son and daughter. And Paul tells us that we're one together in him, none greater and none lesser, but all of infinite value. He took the bread, he broke it, he gave thanks. He said, this is my body given for you. And we receive what we cannot do and give on our own. In the same way, Jesus took the cup. The cup is a beautiful picture of sharing a destiny. When we drink of the same cup, we drink of the same destiny. It's a cup that's not just meant for us to enjoy, but a cup that Jesus not only then gives us the joy and freedom, but he gives us the calling to go be his hands and feet, go bring his presence, go bring his vulnerable way of the kingdom and his kingship to others around you in their struggle and exile. On the night he was betrayed, he took the cup. He said, it's a new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. He saves us from our sin, and we take of that together. And Lord, I thank you for the way you come to us and dispense your love in the places we most feel inadequate, unloved, and unworthy. God, I pray we would grow in our dependent trust on you as we continually are renewed and reminded of your grace and your kindness. Bring us out of exile, Lord, that we, from the inside out, would bring others out of it as well. Move among us even as we worship and as we continue in this season in your name. Amen. Let's stand together. And even the words you declare, it's okay to sing them and go, man, I'm not sure I want to do this. But just add God to help you let go and trust him. Let's worship together.
I do want to give you a blessing uh, before we head out for the day. I want to remind you both of the blue Christmas coming up and Christmas Eve. We love being together. And not only for you, but to pray for those who will join us that night, that Jesus would reveal himself and give light in the darkness and hope and despair. And as I give you a blessing, I, I want to remind you, even as we were singing, it is so freeing to know God has to do something to change me. Like, I want to take my part in it, but I need him to actually transform me from the inside out. And your even desire for that is of him. So I have such a joy in believing he's moving and wants to keep moving in our lives. Let's just place your hands up to receive this. May the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ continually fill you with his spirit. Oh, may you increasingly discover his king and his kingdom in a different way. And may you live in increasing dependent trust that as you do, he will move and change and all along the way, you will be freed from exile and free others for his glory and your joy. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.